Have you ever found yourself sort of going through the motions? We do that in lots of ways. Maybe you've been driving along a highway on a trip and suddenly realize that you can't remember the last 10 miles, right? I mean, you're awake, but somehow your mind was everywhere else, and you really don't remember much of what happened for the last few minutes. I do that once in a while when I'm reading a book. You know, I'm sitting there reading and somehow my mind gets distracted to something else and I realize that I've read down through the words of a whole page or maybe even a couple of pages, but I honestly have no idea what they said because I'm thinking about something else. It's amazing how our minds work that way that we can read the words and actually they're going through our heads, but we're not comprehending anything. Sometimes life is a little bit that way as well. We, we are going through life, and we're sort of marking time, and we're going through the motions, but we're really forgetting what's going on around us. It just seems as if we're existing. Maybe you know what that's like. Sometimes it happens when we're going through some kind of emotional pain, and maybe we're a little bit numb. Something has really upset our lives, and and we don't know how to handle it, and it just doesn't feel like we're ourselves, and we're just sort of coasting along in life. Maybe you know how that is. There's some kind of pain there. Or we feel a little stuck in life, whether it's in, in a job that we don't want to do or Or we're in a place in life where we can't seem to to make a difference and we're just coasting along, letting life pass by, not paying attention to much of anything. We're going through the motions. And that can even happen in our faith. When we're in the middle of life and, yeah, we come to church on a Sunday morning just like this and, and we sing the songs and we listen to the message, we, we have communion, and it's not that we don't care. It's not that we're somehow dishonoring God. We want to please God. But really, it's a little bit like we're coasting. We're going through the motions. We're not going anywhere on our faith journey. And while going to church may make us feel a little better about ourselves, the truth is that it doesn't have much effect on what we do when we leave this building. It doesn't have much effect on the way I treat my family. It doesn't have much effect on the, the way I do my job or interact with my coworkers or my friends or whatever it is you do during the week. Somehow what happens here is not translating into life. We're going through the motions. We're coasting. So the question becomes, what do we do about that? I mean, most of us would say, that's not what we're in this for. We don't call ourselves Christians just to coast along for some matter of decades and hope we get an eternal reward. Now we're all looking forward to being with Jesus for eternity. That's part of our goal. But what about this life? What are we doing with it? And are we doing anything that's actually developing a deeper relationship with Jesus? Are we doing anything that helps our faith form what our lives look like, that allows God to speak into our lives so that we become the people that he's called us to be, the people that he wants us to be in his world. And if so, if we really do want that, how do we make it happen? You know, this is a pretty good-sized book, 
I mean, this particular one is not the biggest one you could see around, but the pages are thin and the print is small, and, and there's a lot going on in this book. So the question becomes, what would I do if I were really saying that I'm going to take my faith more seriously than I ever have before? That I'm going to take my relationship with God more seriously than I ever have before? That I want God to be active in my life because I'm opening my life to Him? Where would I turn? There's a lot here to choose from. So where should we go? We need something that we can take to work with us. We need something that we can put in our minds that we can carry with us wherever we go, whether it's home or work or anywhere else. So where do we turn? In the Old Testament, there are 613 commands, some negative, some positive, some thou shalt, some thou shalt not. Which of those 613 do we turn to? And when we add the New Testament to that, it only gets more sort of complex. So what can we take with us? That's what I want us to think about over the next few weeks. Mark 12 would be a great place to turn. That's where we're going to start. Mark chapter 12, and Ken's already read part of that for us today. Jesus has been having a debate with some religious leaders That happened pretty frequently. And they've been talking about resurrection, which some of them believed in and some of them did not believe. Some of them just thought when you're dead, you're dead, and that's the end of it. But Jesus and some other religious leaders of the day all believed that in the end God was going to raise us from the dead. And so they're having this debate. And, you know, a religious debate attracted attention in that day because there's not a lot to entertain people. So when the religious leaders got together in the town square or near the town gate and they began to go back and forth, people gathered. That was their entertainment. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? I mean, you only have to hear me for 20 minutes every week, so. But there's a man that came along, another teacher, We're not told if he's a Pharisee or a Sadducee, which group he belonged to, just that he's an expert in the law, a man who probably spent his life copying Scripture and teaching from Scripture, a man who took Scripture seriously, and he noticed that Jesus was giving some good answers. He noticed that what Jesus was saying was making sense. It was compelling. And he wanted to hear a little more from this man. Maybe he'd never heard Jesus before. Or maybe he had become intrigued by some of the things that he had heard Jesus say. We don't know. We just know that on that day, this man was impressed with what Jesus said. So we ask a question. Which among all those commands of the Old Testament, the law, is the greatest? Of the 613, which one is the most important? Which one can I put in my back pocket and carry with me wherever I go, and it is the one that I should really allow to govern my whole life. In fact, the one upon which all the others, you could take every one of those others, other commandments that we find in the law, and we could hang them on this one because it's so overarching, so big, so important, so formative that we have to hear it. Jesus' answer. Mark chapter 12. Verse 29, the most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Wasn't a shocking answer. Religious leaders had been asked this question before, and sometimes they would give this answer. So the man who heard it would not have been surprised because he had probably repeated it at least twice a day for all of his adult life. It was a command that the people of Israel had heard when they were coming out of Egypt, when God was leading them out of slavery. It was formative in the life of this nation. It helped them become God's people because it identified who God was and what their devotion to God should be like. Some of you are saying, haven't we heard this before? And the answer is yes, we have. We began our, our study together last winter in Deuteronomy. And as a part of that study, we covered where Moses commanded the people to use this prayer as part of them becoming a people. And then when we talked about our mission statement It really sprang, love God and love others. It sprang from this passage, and so I preached on it then too. So here we are again, back to Mark chapter 12, back to love the Lord your God, because it is so formative. Today we begin this series, Living the Jesus Creed. And today is the day, if you haven't already started, to go ahead and take those books out that you bought, the the 40 days of living the Jesus Creed, and read day number one. If you've already started, that's great. But if you haven't, start today. Because we're beginning this process of allowing this passage to speak into our lives. Last April, when our elders had their retreat and we began to talk about mission and vision together, one of the things that we did to prepare, we prepared for 30 days with Scripture readings and readings from books and listening to speakers and all kinds of things. And one of the things we listened to was Dr. Scott McKnight teaching on this passage. And he is the one who wrote the Living the Jesus Creed books. And it was powerful to me because I've read this book several times and gone through it with people in churches. But it sort of formed our conversation in that retreat and then our discussions that followed. Love God, love others. Love the Lord your God with everything you got. Heart, mind, soul, strength. That's your whole being. And who do you love? It's not any God. It's not the God of your choosing. It's not any number of gods that you may want to satisfy. It is the one God of Scripture, Yahweh, the God described throughout this book. But this week, as I studied this again, a question came to my mind that really hadn't when we talked about it in Deuteronomy and didn't last fall when we talked about it with our mission and vision. And it's a basic question, and we've alluded to some things that go along with this, but here it is. What does it mean to love God? I mean, we sort of get, I love my spouse, and I I love my parents, I love my children or grandchildren or grandparents or siblings or I love these people in church. What does it mean to love God? We don't see him physically. 
can't hold God, touch God. We don't hear him talk. We got his word, but we don't have this conversation that maybe we'd like to have as we do with another person. What does it mean to love God? Now, that's not an easy question to answer. In fact, in many ways, I think what we're going to be doing over the next seven weeks is answering that question, what does it mean to love God? Now, Jesus would have spoken this in Aramaic, probably. Maybe he would have quoted this in Hebrew. I don't know. But we do know that Mark gives it to us in Greek. And Greek, of course, is a complex language. and has more than one word for love, whereas Hebrew and English, it's just love. But Mark wants us to get this. And the language that he uses is, you need to agape God. It's not the brotherly love that we see used elsewhere in Scripture. It's not sort of a friendship love. or It's agape love. And that's the kind of love that is self-giving that makes sense, right? If you're going to love God with all you are, what other kind of love could you have for God than this agape love where you choose to love and you choose to love in such a way that you give everything you've got? So what is Mark telling us? Sort of a beginning answer to this question, what does it mean to love God? He's saying, first of all, sometimes you decide to do it. It's more than a feeling. You choose to love God. And when you love God, you do it with everything you've got. It's not just part way. It's all that you are, this kind of agape love. Now, it involves the emotions. I don't want to seem it's sort of a, a clinical kind of thing. But it's more than emotion. It's more than just feeling a certain way today and maybe feeling a different way tomorrow. It's choosing to love this God who created everything. We'll speak more to that later. But Jesus doesn't finish there, and we've noted that before. He could have. would have made sense. What's the greatest command? Love God. But he doesn't stop there. He pulls in a command from Leviticus that they would have heard but would have been less familiar to them. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Same kind of love, still agape, still choosing to love, still self-giving love, still opening yourself up to another person and giving them when they are in need, and maybe even when they're not in need, without expecting anything in return. opening our hearts, choosing to love, whether the person is lovable or not. And some people that God puts in our paths are not going to be all that lovable. And it's hard. Maybe they're demanding. And maybe we don't feel like giving. And yet God says, Love me and love others. And that's what it boils down to. Once again, it's our mission statement. What do we take from this passage? What we've called us as a church to be. Love God, love others. It's as simple as that. That's what we take with us, along with this passage. But once again, we have to think about what that looks like. We choose to love. 
We make the decision to love God and we make the decision to love others. And it also means we can't sort of relegate our faith, this loving God and loving others, to an hour on Sunday morning or a couple of hours or showing up for a Bible study. It's life. Loving God and loving others is life. It has to take over everything. It can't stand beside lots of other things, sort of as the latest hobby, or put along the bookshelf with all the other self-help books and say, well, there's the Bible, and it's a good one, too. It's all of life. It can't just be the latest thing. You know, every time we go to Atlanta to visit our family, my brother has a new hobby, okay? He's the kind of guy that's always into something. One day it's building computers, and then the next time the computers are all in the corner of the basement, and it's remote control cars, okay? And it something that's be something else next time we go. That's just him. Our Christianity can't be like that. It's the latest thing. It's cool for a while, but then we'll put it back in the corner, and we'll put our Bible on the shelf. We can't relegate our faith to just being a piece of life along with everything else. We choose to allow our faith to infiltrate every part of who we are and every part of our lives. There is nothing that is exempt. So how do we express this love for God? Okay, we talk about what does it mean to love God? How do we express that love for God? Worship. This is part of it. This is part of us saying, okay, part of my life is going to be set aside to go and gather with other Christians, with my community of faith, and we're going to lift up the name of Jesus because God has done so much for us. We can't help but express our joy and our praise to God. That should be part of it. But it needs to be thanksgiving throughout the week. And sometimes it needs to be repentance throughout the week. And you say, is is repentance part of loving God? Yeah, it is. Because God has set out a standard in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament of this is how he expects his followers to live. And when we refuse to live that way, Part of the relationship that God is calling us to involves us coming to God and saying, God, listen, I know I did it wrong again, and I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be a person who serves you with everything. And then we love others. We've talked a lot about that. We've talked a lot about expressing our love and You know, I think one of the things that we sometimes forget is that this love begins with those closest to us. Sometimes it's easy to love the people we don't know very well. We don't know their faults. We don't know the things that they do that's going to irritate us in a while. And so we love those people out there. You know how it is with kids? You know, when they go to somebody else's house and they have a little brother or sister, they're always the cutest thing in the world. And when they come home, they tell you all about how cute my friend's little brother or sister is. But that doesn't usually translate to their own brother or sister, does it? It's universal. Sometimes it's easier to love the people we don't know very well. But if we're serious about loving God and loving others, part of what that means is 
We are called to love our parents and children and spouses and siblings and co-workers and in-laws and whoever else it may be. And yeah, we're called to go out in the community and we're called to serve people in need. You say, well, that's a lot. It is a lot. It's life. It's living this Jesus creed out of loving the Lord our God with everything that we are. We're going to talk a lot more about all these themes over the next few weeks. We'll develop it more clearly on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night. But today I'd like us to begin together. We're going to put the words of the Jesus Creed. We're going to have some ways to help you with this later on as we continue our study. We're going to put the words of the Jesus Creed on the screen. And we're going to make this part of our worship over the next few weeks. So let's read this together, okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for these words of Jesus that we come to once again, words that we've studied not that long ago, but that once again inform us and teach us what it means to be followers of Jesus. God, help us to live the life that these words describe and help these words to infiltrate who we are and to be, help us become the kind of people you want us to be. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me encourage you to say those words morning and night, at least when, before you put your feet on the ground and, and before you take them off the ground, to say those words, but then to continue to say them through the day as we go through living the Jesus Creed. And I think that it can become a habit that you won't want to break because as those words go through your mind, as they become part of who you are, they can make us into different people. And today, maybe you're ready to, to be a different person, to be recreated by the fact that Jesus died on a cross for your sins and offers you eternal life. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ, we want to know about that. Or maybe you're a baptized believer and you want to be a member of our church. We'd love for you to let us know about either one of those decisions. Come forward as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.